freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it, then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the right. Warning, warning. We gotta stop them. They're gonna kill us all. See how the trouble you've started? Be they a government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone. Or human beings. Time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious. Makes you so sick at heart. But you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. You called down the thunder, well now you've got it. Chris, you tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Revolution Radio. We did not engage in conflict that was out of line with our mission. Is it disloyal? Is it sedition? Is it treason to oppose the hands of tyranny? Never! I will never send troops anywhere on a mission of that kind without telling them that if somebody shoots at them, they can darn well shoot back. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty! Oh, give me! A dark cloud is finally lifting across the world as U.S. military intelligence and their global partners are destroying the deep state criminal power structure that has ruled over our planet for hundreds of years. We are free with the God-given rights, and we shall not yield that right to any power on Earth. Hi, I'm Scott McKay. The world is at, and I am your host on The Tipping Point. On Revolution Radio, where every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we bring you the latest in this ensuing takedown of this global criminal empire. That's an image of strength. You'll get the raw, hard truth here on The Tipping Point. So come join us Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, in Studio B at Revolution.Radio. Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And yeah, we're going to get back to your host. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Free Association, live from uh, Newcastle Central Station uh, for various technical reasons, including a national rail strike. I couldn't get to Berwick and I couldn't really get to the standing stones I wanted to go to, so I'm doing the show from, from the barn. We're doing the show in the barn today, same as we always do. Uh, this is my small contribution to taking down the global criminal conspiracy uh, by drinking coffee and, and having a bit of fun and not worrying about it too much because it, if it's, it's there, it's there. It doesn't seem to have gone very far in the last couple of years. So I doubt, I doubt that me jumping up and down 
actually yesterday I was jumping up and down with a sign in my hand but today I'm drinking coffee and having fun alright thank, thanks for the sound check mate appreciate that I bought, I'm in totally new new equipment, I have a new territory, I've got a, a new microphone and a new laptop because the old laptop went, went foot uh, about a week after I bought this one so the time the timing could not have been better, it was, I don't like spending money as, I, as I've said on many occasions but on this occasion I had to spend the money so I think in, investing in a little bit in equipment is a good thing and uh, it's the time that I did it, it's the time that I got the quality of what I do up a little bit. Still having fun though, so anything that can go wrong will go wrong, but, but at least it's better quality going wrong. <laughs> so, I think we start from yesterday because, uh, as I've already mentioned it, so on a Friday afternoon, my time, I do this uh, Rebels on Roundabouts thing, I've been I don't do every single week, but I do like two out of three. And yesterday was one of the one of the things that I do. So yesterday we were meeting on St James's Boulevard, which is one of the main dual carriageways through the town, and it happens to be about five minutes away from where I live. So uh, where we meet is by the Holiday Inn, and then. Uh, Two, out, two hours from four o'clock until six we stand with signs with yellow signs with black writing and we talk to people going past and we just kind of pass the time of day with each other and uh, moan about how the world is and reminisce about how good it used to be and all those things that you do when you complain about how the world is so for two hours I was stood with a with a yellow sign uh, with, with with Santa and Holly on it because it was a Christmas board so uh, basically saying Merry Christmas to everyone no matter your race, colour, creed or vaccine status but I thought that was uh, I mean it doesn't matter that it's a Christmas board it's just the point is that it doesn't matter any of those things and at the time vaccine status was a very big deal indeed and now it's still quite a big deal I think that's in the background it hasn't gone away it's just a matter of uh, it's not quite as visible as it used to be so I've been a couple of hours of uh, standing around I might as well be carrying a board that says the end of the world is nigh it always makes me laugh because the sandwich board with the end of the world is now uh, will be a thing at some point I've also got a, I've got a Halloween costume from about three years ago uh, which is uh, it's a monk's, monk's ha black monk's habit with a, a skull mask and I've got a plastic chainsaw so I'll, I'll drop the plastic chainsaw but I might do I might do Rebels on Roundabout with a skull mask and a, a monk's habit and uh, see if I can get a scythe from somewhere and do it as death. I played death once in a, an amateur production of a Terry Pratchett book. It was Weird Sisters. It's 
very good fun. I only had half a dozen lines, but it was fun. And I had a, almost exactly that costume, except I was carrying a large scythe at that point. So just wandering around, somebody else was seeing the words because it was all uh, pre-recorded. Was that? No, that was the that was a panto idea. That was King Neptune. I played King Neptune in a panto about 30 years ago as well. More, probably probably more than 30 years ago. So I was the Sultan of Morocco and King Neptune. And I had, uh, well, I had half a dozen lines as the Sultan of Morocco and half a dozen pre-recorded lines as King Neptune. And I had to hold the setup because it being an amateur production, there's 150 girl guides in the audience. Just they had girl guides coming from far away, far and far afield. And uh, the, the, the scenery was a bit rattly, so it was wobbly. So I ended up holding the scenery up for the time I was on stage. And then when I was backstage, I was, I was holding the scenery up as well. So that's how, that's how I'm at the dramatics goes in, in my part of the world. That was in London, that was in Hackney, the Hackney Plays. I haven't talked about that for years. Many years ago that was. We managed to get on the front page of, of the local paper as well for that production. Because somebody fell through the ceiling. The guy who was doing the lighting and the sound, all the, all the engineering stuff, all the sound engineering stuff, was up in the roof, putting lights up and, and running cables or doing whatever he had to do and he fell through the roof. So he fell about 15 feet and he had to get airlifted, airlifted to hospital. So the whole the whole thing became a front page story on the local paper, and we ended up having, I, I was in a a group of people in a in a cafe on a Saturday morning. I remember that the local reporter came up and talked to us all and, and took a photograph. So I ended up on the front page of the paper that way, through no fault of my own. It's just a thing that happened. Right, so there's, there's news this week. We've got a few things going on. It's not just all about me. Well, it is all about me, really. Because it's my show, so I can do what I like. Uh, but we've, we've, had, uh, we've had some political manoeuvrings. And we've got the Glastonbury Festival going on. And there's a real strike going on. So there's no shortage of things to talk about this week. So what I'm going to do... Glastonbury is one of my favourite things in the world. I'm going to talk about the Glastonbury Festival for five minutes. So, I haven't been for years, but I used to go every single year. When I was, when I was from to the age of about 18 to about 32, 33, I think I went 11 times to, Glaston, to the Glastonbury Festival. The first year I went was 1984. Shows you how old I am. When I was 18, I'd just done my A-levels, and I managed to persuade one of my friends to, to borrow his mother's uh, Volvo at a Volvo estate. We got five of us into a Volvo estate with two tents and some camping equipment, and we drove 300 miles to Glastonbury. Well, I didn't drive, but they drove. They're supervised from the back seat, probably. <laughs> That's what I normally do. So it was fun though, it was good, uh, 
Who's headlining that year? I think it was Elvis Costello. Who's headlining the Saturday? I could be wrong though. I would have to look it up. Because it's 40 years ago. It's at least 40 years ago. Almost exactly 40 years ago. So, I think it, I think it was Elvis Costello on the Saturday. Because I saw Elvis Costello a couple of times at Glastonbury. Uh, I remember seeing Skunk and Nancy and Crazy Head on the Thursday evening and they weren't even on the bill, they were just there doing a warm up entertaining the crowd before the, the festival officially opened on the Friday so we got there on the Thursday, set everything up went straight down to the, the John Peel stage as it was at the time and I think there was uh, I don't know whether the Cocteau twins were on as well. I can't remember. I would have to look. I would have to look it up. I really, it's like don't take my word for anything as far as Glastonbury is concerned because I don't remember years and I don't remember dates really at all. But uh, I remember. I know. I know Robert Plant's on because I looked. Because I looked that up the other day. So let's have a look at the lineup. He's on with Alison Krauss. And I've seen Robert Plant at Glastonbury before now. But I got I got chicken pox that year. Uh, so what we got? So Friday night. So last night was uh, crowded house. Rufus Wainwright. I've never seen Rufus, but I've seen uh, I saw Loudon Wainwright the third at Glastonbury. I remember that. That might have been the first year I was there. The Hot House Flowers were on as well. I remember the Hot House Flowers being good. And God, who else was on? It's a long time ago, man. Such a long time ago. Anyway, the, the lineup for, for yesterday was Robert Plant and Alison Krauss, Sam Fender, and Billy Eilish. And today, uh, lots of people I don't know who they are. Greta Thunberg's on there somewhere. Only for 10 minutes, though. Now we've got Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds and Paul McCartney's headliner. That's on the main stage. The main stage is not always the place you want to be at Glastonbury. It's always a smaller stage with a, with a better lineup. So tomorrow we've got Elbow, Herbie Hancock, Diana Ross, Lordy, or Norwegian metal band that won the Eurovision Song Contest, if I remember rightly. Kendrick Lamar, I don't know who Ken, Kendrick Lamar is. I do know who Diana Ross is and I do know who Herbie Hancock is. Though. So that's a start. Proves I'm not completely old. And then on the other stage, which is the, the second stage really, uh, uh, whole lot of people I don't know who they are. Supergrass were on last night. Uh, tonight we've got all, I don't know who any of those people are that are on tonight. Tomorrow we've got Years and Years and the Pet Shop Boys headliner. So that, that would be where I would be tomorrow if I was actually there. Well, I haven't said that. Would that clash with anybody? Would that clash with Diana Ross? No, it wouldn't actually. Kendrick Lamar would be who that would clash with, so I could, get, I could see, I could do Herbie Hancock and Diana Ross and Elbow 
and then move over for the pet shop boys. That would be that would be the perfect way to end end a glass, really, I think, for me. I still haven't worked out what I would do tonight. This is a fantasy world glass festival. This is what I'm doing today. I knew it wouldn't be serious today because that's not the mood I've been in. So it might get serious a little bit later, but not yet. Honestly, all of these people, Primal Screen, here we go, I found a, found a, a stage with some people on, on Friday night that I would have gone to see. So Primal Screen and the Jesus and Mary chain, both of whom I've seen before and I like. I've seen the Jesus and Mary chain at the, the Mayfair in Newcastle, and that must have been 40 years ago as well. This is all when I was in my late teens and early 20s, all these bands I went to see. Uh, so that would have covered Friday, so Saturday I still haven't found a, a place to settle yet. Oh, the Water Boys? The Water Boys were on the first year that I was there. Uh, Ralph Mattel, Scouting for Girls, Tony Christie, that would be the place I would be on, a, on Saturday night then. Chris Difford. So we've got Chris Difford on a Saturday and Glenn Tilbrook on the Sunday on this stage. Suzanne Vega as well. Suzanne Vega. Suzanne Vega probably was on. Was probably the headliner on the Saturday night the first time I went. I've definitely seen her headliner at Glastonbury. But she, I saw her headliner at, at the Cambridge Folk Festival as well one year. And I and I went to Liverpool and slept on somebody's floor. For Suzanne Vega as well. That was when I was about twenty. 1920, something like that. I'd never met this guy before, but I was sharing I was sharing a flat with a guy and it was one of his mates. So we both went down. So but it was literally sleeping on the floor. It was not it was not a, a comfortable experience. But it, it was in the middle of Liverpool, like walking distance from Sefton Park or whatever, in some student accommodation somewhere. What else have we got? The Hoosiers have been on. Well, they're, they're on tonight. Uh, the Philly Bragg is on somewhere. I saw him the other night when I was, when I was looking. Uh, I think the Chemical Brothers are on somewhere as well. And they're always worth a look. Even if I don't hang around forever with the Chemical Brothers, they're always worth popping in to see. That's more or less it though, nobody else I've even heard of really. So, but at least that would cover me as far as music's concerned. And then you, there's always a comedy tent or whatever in Glastonbury, there's never a shortage of things to do. And they do still have a John Peel stage, so... Still doing what they do. Still, it's still raising money for for Oxfam and Greenpeace and Amnesty International. I think those were the people that they always used to raise money for, and I think they still do. Still do the same charity stuff. Because all the volunteers come from the charities, so all the stewarding, all the cleaning up, everything's done by volunteers from those charities. So it's only fair that they should get some money out of it. As far as I'm concerned. 
Right, let's move on to some clips now. Let's have a look at the the entertainment section of Bitchute because there's a couple of things on here that that would have interest. So Daredevil's showing up now in Netflix series. It's showing up on Bitchute if you know where to look. Um, there's also, um, if you know where to look, you'll find uh, the new series of Obi-Wan Kenobi and The Mandalorians showed up this week for me as well. So it's worth just doing a search for these things, even if you don't think it's going to be there. It might turn out that somebody's uploaded it. It should compresses everything, right? But uh, you get a reason all the black at it. First season of Blackadder's on there, and they've started uploading season two now. So I shall work my way through those. So Blackadder's always worth watching, always. The other things on there, that are, oh, there's a Star Trek series called uh, Strange New Worlds, and that started to show up on BitChute as well, the first four or five episodes are on that. So if Star Trek Brave New Worlds is a thing, Strange New Worlds, then uh, there's a way to do that without putting money in the pocket of a, a large multinational media organization. The usual Stargate Atlantis, well, Abbott and Costello lost in Alaska. Sliders, Farscape, Stargate SG-1, all the usual suspects. Uh, Star Trek Enterprise as well. Right, so I think we'll go for a little bit more serious now. We'll go for a little bit of Vernon Coleman for 10 minutes or so. Have a look there. We have to have a balance of these things. If we're going to do, we're going to do genocidal maniacs and uh, meltdown, meltdowns of the, the whole system, and you've got to have a bit of fun with it as well. Right, let me find the most recent one. There was a one from a couple of weeks ago that I wanted to play. Here we go, I'll play about 10 15 minutes of this and then talk. Look at precisely how social credit operates in China. The social credit system set up in China was officially introduced in 2014, though it was planned many years before that and given approval back at the beginning of the 21st century when Shanghai introduced a credit system designed to assess eligibility for loans in much the same way as been done in the West for many years. What's been happening since 2014 has been happening very quickly. The idea of the system is that information about every individual will be collected together from all possible sources, schools, workplaces, banks, doctor surgeries, hospitals, police, libraries, supermarkets, internet platforms, travel companies, closed circuit television cameras, cameras using facial recognition software and so on. 
Recognition software can identify people by the way they walk. Smart meters installed in private homes will tell the authorities what time you get up, what time you eat, what you eat, when you go to the loo and when you go to bed. If you get a speeding fine or a parking ticket, the details of that will be recorded too. In the Chinese city of Rongcheng, there's a comprehensive grading system which obtains information from 142 different government departments with hundreds of positive and negative factors being used to create a final score. The information collected is used to compensate and reward those considered to be model citizens and to punish those regarded as transgressors. The social credit system is designed to enable the authorities to name and shame according to behavior. There are several systems in different Chinese provinces, but social credit ratings are measured with a simple point system, with, for example, all citizens starting off with a thousand points and then losing points whenever they misbehave. A citizen's rating will determine whether he or she is rewarded or punished. The goal of the system is to provide the government with a general assessment of each individual citizen's trustworthiness. Good citizens who've obeyed instructions and behaved impeccably will be rewarded in many ways, such as by being allowed to travel, use a public library, rent bicycles, or borrow money, and by being entitled to send their children to better schools to obtain a better quality of health care, or to apply for and be given better jobs. Buying green vegetables, sensible clothing and nappies will all boost a citizen's rating. Buy sensible work shoes with good soles and a long life potential and your rating will rise. Those who praise the government will see their rating improve. Those who report citizens who've criticised the government or any part of it will be rewarded for their loyalty to the state. If you donate blood, perform charitable works and praise the government regularly on social media, you will be rewarded. Bad citizens who've shown themselves to be rebellious, deceitful or disobedient in any way will be punished by being named and shamed on the internet and elsewhere and by being denied access to travel, hotels, restaurants, good schools, good hospitals and good jobs. Bad citizens may also be banned from entering shopping malls or food stores and may therefore be denied access to food. What else makes you a bad citizen? Well, buying chocolates, alcohol or frivolous clothing will damage your rating, as will playing games on the internet. Buy a pair of high heel shoes or inappropriately expensive trainers and you'll lose points. If your home's not considered energy compliant, you'll be punished. If Chinese citizens write or say something rude about their government, they'll lose points. Those who fail to visit their parents regularly are punished, as are jaywalkers, those who smoke in non-smoking zones and those who walk a dog without putting it on the lead. Government employees will remove a dog if its leftover food isn't cleared away and the former dog owner will be banned from having another animal for five years. Senior citizens can sue their children if they don't visit regularly. Not sorting your personal waste properly is a sin, as is swearing in public. Spying on your friends, relatives and neighbours will be rewarded. So, for example, reporting friends, relatives and neighbours for using bad language will win you brownie points. All internet data, including searches, is used to compile social credit ratings and players who cheat in online video games are punished by having their social credit rating reduced. 
If you spread rumours on the internet, you'll be classified as a bad person. Perhaps that's not, not such a bad idea. If your apologies for your transgressions are considered insincere, you'll be punished. If you have your PCR tests done regularly, then you'll be rewarded. But if you miss your testing appointments, you'll lose points. If you have the vaccinations you're told to have, then you'll be rewarded. But if you choose not to have a particular vaccination, then you'll lose points. Those who do not pay bills on time will be punished. The taxes and utility bills will be paid automatically with the appropriate sums simply deducted from the citizen's account. If there's insufficient money in the account, the citizen will lose yet more points. Those in debt, for whatever reason, will end up in a downward spiral. Ten years or so ago, I wrote a column, a weekly column, in a large circulation Chinese newspaper. One week I wrote a column criticising vaccination. Within hours of the column appearing, I received a note from the editor sacking me from the paper. And within a couple of days after that, I received an email from my Chinese publisher telling me that they were no longer allowed to sell my books, several of which had been long-term bestsellers in China, and I was told that neither they nor any other publisher in China would be allowed to publish any of my books. That's how it works. In 2019, 23 million people in China had been blacklisted from travelling by train or aeroplane because they had low social credit ratings. Many students were prevented from attending schools or universities because their parents had poor scores or because one parent was on a debtor's list. Employers are able to consult blacklists before hiring new employees or handing out contracts and they're encouraged to do so. Highly rated taxpayers get their tax returns processed speedily. Lowly rated individuals have to pay higher insurance premiums. Once someone's on a blacklist in one area of a country, they're likely to be blacklisted in other provinces. And once someone is on a blacklist, it can take two to five years to be removed. Citizens on blacklists must prove that they've changed their erring ways. In China, everyone now lives in a point-scoring computer game. Citizens who don't adapt their lifestyle to suit the requirements of the government will be severely punished. If a member, member of a Chinese citizen's family or partner has low scores, then they must avoid them, or their own point score will be reduced. Think about that. The system ensures that the friends and relatives of individuals who behave in a way the state considers unacceptable will lose points from their credit rating. In short, those who do as they're told will be rewarded and those who disobey will be punished. And remember, individuals who are regarded as bad citizens will be named and shamed on posters, on television, and of course, on the internet. My honourable friend, in asking that question, I believe the reason that the department is, uh, it, it keeps that uh, under review is that uh, the, the, although the pass has stopped and there's absolutely no prospect I can see of ever it coming back into place, that it is right that when we wind this down and work on the digital resources, uh, that, that all things that are necessary are looked at appropriately. I like that, uh, like that guy's manner. That's uh, Sir Desmond Swain on the back benches, and he got results because the ad, whether the position is still open, the ad itself was taken down within about 20 minutes of that uh, of that question and Sajid Javid's pathetic, floundering answer. But even so, a director of COVID passes in.
the United Kingdom when they've supposedly been scrapped into the United Kingdom. Let's just take a look at this job a little deeper. It comes with a salary of uh, 71,000 quid and uh, the perks are uh, uh, all the perks you'd expect from a high-paying government job. I might even apply for this uh, wonderful once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit around and do absolutely nothing for 71 grand and uh, just uh, uh, prevent anybody else from doing anything too, which is the purpose of these things. Here's, here's, here's how it looks now after that question from Sir Desmond. Uh, the, uh, yeah, cannot view job. This job has closed or been withdrawn. So either they've secured the perfect candidate or Sajid Jabid, uh, whom I don't trust at all since he doesn't want to come on our show. No reason for us to trust him. He weaseled out. He said he'd answer our questions in writing, and he hasn't. Uh, so we have no reason to trust Sajid Jabid. Uh, we asked whether, in fact, uh, HMG was still going to fill the position uh, and they just vaporized the ad to save face. And they actually gave us a response this time. Quote, we have nothing further to add at this stage. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it was Sajid Javid himself who wrote that answer. Maybe it was the prime minister. Maybe it was the Lord Privy Seal. Uh, we have nothing to add at this stage. Sounds like the highly informed government response. You need a, uh, a, a chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster or deputy leader of the House of Lords to actually write. It's not boilerplate, is it? We have nothing to add at this stage. Uh, we have nothing to add for those keeping score at home, so we can play that game too. But Javid is up to something. No wonder he has no time to answer any of our questions because he's cooking up a plan to keep us away from sea bass dinners with Andrew Neal on the Côte d'Azur, followed by lazy days lounging next to him naked on the beach at Saint-Tropez. His lack of time is a common theme on this show. We're still waiting for him to pay up to the vaccine-injured and bereaved whose stories have filled the airwaves on GB News for weeks now. But they're approaching some sort of milestone, and it feels like the tone is certainly changing for those people whose lives have been ruined by the vaccine. Uh, Vicky Spitt and Charlotte Wright, the two vaccine widows whom you have seen multiple times on this show, have now managed to secure more than 100,000 signatures for their petition calling for a public inquiry into vaccine safety after they lost loved ones in their effort to follow the science and do the right thing as everyone from the Queen and the PM down told them. Um, it now means the government will have to consider this petition for a debate in Parliament. They're weaselly types, these uh, parliamentarian types. So whether that actually happens is yet to be seen. What do you reckon? Are COVID passes gone forever? Or is this uh, just uh, a, uh, a means of letting it go quiet and in the subterranean caverns of Whitehall, these plans will still be moving ahead? Let me know. Your so, all right, that was a clip from GB News. Um, there's plenty of Mark Stein to, to play. There's plenty of GB News to play. So, but I wanted to talk about standing stones because I was going to go I was going to go to Northumberland today and uh, it turns out that, that the day I chose is the middle of a rail strike so so I couldn't get there and uh, 
yesterday I was I was in this very spot in this very cafe at the railway station and there was a queue of about 150 people waiting for taxis it turns out that a, a van had, had run off a bridge and onto the track on the East Coast main line and all the trains had been cancelled yesterday so the uh, the universe is transpiring against my visiting standing stones in midsummer I'm going to try again in midwinter and see see if I can get it happening then but uh, the midsummer trips I've had to write it off uh, I cancelled the bed and breakfast I was going to stay in uh, so I've got away with 50 quid there I'll, I'll get that refunded but the the rail the rail ticket I've still got so I might end up going up during the week at some point because it's an open return so I can probably get away with using it I don't think anybody's gonna find me for not having a ticket if I've got a ticket I'm just using it on a different day but I'll have to check with the ticket office to make sure I can do that I think uh, I'm not going to just assume that I can uh, and certainly you can use the return section but can I get out there that's the, that's the issue Let's see what else we've got on uh, on picture. Let's have a look at some clips on the GB News channel. There's a, a clip of Robert Malone talking with Neil Oliver. Oh, that's an old one. I'll not play that one. I don't want to play by-election clips. That's the other thing that's been happening this week is uh, a by-election in Wakefield and a by-election in Tiverton and Honiton in Devon. Uh, the Liberal Democrats won the Tiverton by-election and the Labour Party won the Wakefield by-election. And which means that the Conservatives lost both of those seats and that tells you something uh, overturned a, a 24,000 majority in Tiverton and Michael Howard has called for the resignation of Boris Johnson Michael Howard's a former leader of the Conservative Party so Tory grandees stepping out of the shadows calling for resignations that's, that's not a small thing in British politics I'll play a couple of these because there's, there's a couple of political ones that, that are interesting. This victory for the Lib Dems here in what was Neil Parrish's old seat, your former colleague, is this just a protest vote or do you think actually in seats like that the Tories are in for one hell of a ride? Well, I'm not going to gloss over the, the result. It was a very bad result. It was the biggest swing that we've seen, even bigger than the one uh, when Owen Patterson stood down. Um, what, what do we read out of these things? You know, poor turnout, you know, nothing like a turnout you'd see at a general election. Uh, I think if you really want my honest opinion as to why uh, those seats went so badly, uh, was the nature of why the previous MPs left. And when MPs left, leave under a cloud, I mean, Wakefield, a very serious cl uh, cloud, uh, the MP convicted of a, a sexual offence against a minor and now doing time for it. That's a very, very bad place to be starting. 
parish in, in Honiton and Tiverton, again, uh, a fairly lurid story that doesn't go down well with voters who, who really don't like by-elections. They want uh, the terms to continue and then to make their choice at general elections. But you know, all in all, uh, parties never, incumbent parties never do very well at by-elections. I'm not going to gloss over that there's reason for this and reason for that. Uh, but in Wakefield, which was a very strong you know, red wall seat from years ago, Conservatives hadn't held it for 80-odd years, years, uh, not entirely unexpected, but not the type of big swings that you'd expect and need uh, Labour to make if they're going to have any chance of winning a general election. Uh, but in those Lib Dem facing seats, uh, yeah, th there's going to be some worry about that. Of course there will be. And there was always, in times of old, a traditional Liberal vote. Uh, that was a Liberal vote. It wasn't a Lib Dem vote, but it seems to have, have gone over to the Lib Dems as the potential challenger party. But what is really bizarre, Darren, is that in both of those seats, very much leave seats, people have, have selected, I know on poor turnouts, in a parties that are completely contra to that very big constitutional democratic decision. I mean, in Wakefield, uh, they've, they've reselected a, a Labour MP. And let's not forget what Keir Starmer was doing during that uh, parliamentary period between 16 and, and 19. He was doing everything he could to frustrate that Brexit referendum. Uh, and then obviously Ed Davey and the Lib Dems. Nobody really knows what they stand for anymore. But one thing I do know what they stand for, they don't like Brexit and will do everything they possibly can to water that down. So for the electors to go to them is a slightly bizarre event. But of course, there's a lot of annoyance about a number of things. Uh, I mean, cost well, of living, exactly, did that Craig. play a part? But, you know, frankly, can the Labour Party or the Lib Dems do anything about cost of living? I know one answer to that. Absolutely not. Uh, what do you think this really means for the future of the party um, within the House of Commons? Well, I think what it shows um, is that people are getting much more savvy about tactical voting. And that's clear in both the by-elections this week that Lib Dem voters gave their votes, lent their voters to Labour in Wakefield, and the reverse was true in Devon. So I think people have got much more um, aligned to the idea that they can use their votes. Whether or not that translates into general election terms remains to be seen. But clearly this is a fantastic result for the Liberal Democrats. It's a 30% swing, and I think it's something like the biggest by-election uh, victory um, in history, actually. And I mean, you know, you and I, Angela, as Edwina was saying, we've seen these stunning victories at by-elections over the years that don't always translate into the seats being kept at a general election. But it will have been a boost, a huge boost to Ed Davey and his party. Um, and as you say, three by-election victories and all of them safe Tory seats. Now, if this was to be replicated, um, you know, if you say 24,000, it's absolutely impossible. You could lose six cabinet ministers with um, majorities that are under 10,000. So the Tories do need to be worried. And I think what what is interesting is that both Wakefield and both uh, and Devon, they were both Brexit supporting seats. Now, you know, the Lib Dems made absolutely no secret of the fact that they are Remainers. They were not pro-Brexit. But these are Brexit supporting seats who have given their votes to Labour and to the Liberal Democrats. And I think the issues 
And Edwina Curry is right. You know, it is about the cost of living. But if you look at um, Tiverton and Honiton, a very rural constituency facing huge problems in agriculture, second homes, uh, public transport, cost of living, a lack of labour for the tourism and agricultural industries. So there are lots of big issues. And I think much as there will be many people like Edwina Curry trying to put a spin on it, it's a midterm defeat. You know, governments are always unpopular halfway through. The truth of the matter is that this is actually about Boris Johnson. And it really now is beholden on the Tory party and particularly the men and women in suits in the cabinet to say to him, as they did to Margaret Thatcher, the time's up, the game's up. And the interviews that we've seen and heard of him in Kigali this morning, I think the public are sick and tired of seeing and listening to somebody who sounds like a recalcitrant teenager being told off time and time again by their teacher or one of their parents. You know, the game is up, and for him it has always been nothing more than a game. Now, today marks the final day of the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting in Rwanda, where the Prime Minister and the Prince of Wales have been holding talks. Now, while Boris Johnson is there, he faces growing pressure over his job just before he gets off to Germany later today for the G7 summit. Well, our political editor, Darren McCaffrey, has been in Rwanda this week watching things unfold. Darren, uh, the head of the Commonwealth, um, have been there to discuss Commonwealth issues. But I guess the journalists have been buzzing with what's been going on politically here at home. Yeah, indeed, uh, Angela. You're right in saying the Prime Minister has been spending an awful lot of time on Commonwealth issues. In fact, he is currently just outside Kigali, along with the 53 other leaders of the Commonwealth, uh, having a meeting, a retreat effectively, where issues like Ukraine and food security are very much high up on the agenda. But, frankly, and let's be honest about this, yes, lots of the conversations here in Kigali, certainly amongst the travelling press, has been about his job in many regards about whether he's going to be able to sustain his position as Conservative leader given those two by-election defeats in Wakefield and in Tiverton and that cabinet resignation yesterday. We've seen at the Prime Minister this morning for about 30 minutes uh, us journalists, he insisted uh, that he didn't think that people wanted to hear about the things he, he put that he'd stuffed up uh, but rather that he wanted to focus on the kind of issues that he reckons people are really concerned about, like the cost of living crisis, cost, uh, rising cost of, of fuel and so on. But in the end, you're right, this is all pretty tricky for the Prime Minister. Clearly politics is very difficult back home and he's a long, long way away and he's not due home Angela for quite a while, uh, almost a week. I know that journalists are among the biggest gossips in the world. So what is the gossip that's doing the rounds there at the moment about where he stands and what's likely to happen when he gets back? Well, this is the big question. It's really quite unknown. Of course, Downing Street are pretty uneasy about all of this. I have to say, the Prime Minister was in the swimming pool yesterday morning when he found out about Oliver Dyden's resignation. He had to get out to answer the phone call to receive that resignation. So there is clearly concern that MPs could be plotting, that Cabinet Ministers might be on the verge of resignation. Essentially, when the cat's away, the mice might play. And that is quite difficult. So the Prime Minister is going to travel straight from here, Angela, to the G7 in Munich and and then on to a NATO summit in Madrid. He would like to say that he's trying to deal with the big global issues of the moment, not least of all that war in Ukraine. Does not want to see Ukraine necessarily make any concessions. Fears that some countries may be piling pressure on President Zelensky to do so. But frankly, you're right, he's under an awful lot of pressure. 
himself and his position. And there is a sense that yesterday was a very, very difficult day for the Conservative Party. This sense that they had lost the seat to Labour, lost the seat to the Liberal Democrats, almost this pincer movement, and that Boris Johnson was a drag on the Conservatives' hope of trying to win the next general election. But in the end, he says he's not going to go anywhere and that essentially you kind of have to drag him out of Downing Street. But Conservative MPs might have a different plan. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> Indeed we will, and I'm sure we haven't got long to wait either. That was our political editor, Darren McCaffrey. There are certainly parallels with the, with the end days of, uh, of Gordon Brown in all this. Uh, it's a real test of whether the Conservative parties boast to be the most ruthless uh, Democratic in the, in the Western world is, is really true. I, I, th I think, you know, given how badly uh, Boris Johnson did in that vote of confidence just three weeks ago, uh, I think uh, the next time they come for him, uh, they'll get him. Are you impressed with how he is managing to hold on? Do you think there is a way he could hold on? Because none of us have a crystal ball. No, what you've got to admire is resilience and his interview this morning saying, you know, I'm not going to change. If you're expecting a psychological transformation, uh, then that's not going to happen, um, which is what his critics have been uh, have been saying. No change, no chance. That was Jeremy Hunt's uh, slogan, um, which uh, which is very interesting. Um, so, yeah, no, you've got to admire uh, his his resilience, but uh, it's very difficult to see where he gets the reserves of uh, uh, of support from uh, in the parliamentary party, uh, let alone the party in the country. The, the bit I don't understand in all this, John, is that we, we like you say, we had the, the vote of no confidence in the prime minister a few weeks ago. I, I, I'm not aware of any Conservative MP who thought we would actually win in Wakefield or thought we would win in Tiverton and Honiton. So I don't quite understand why losing those two by-elections now no. leads to another another sort of spate of, of, of all this, because we'd all, I think, priced that into the decisions that we made three weeks yeah. ago. So I, I find that quite difficult to, to grasp. So, look, do you think, do you think that, that Boris Johnson will uh, fight the next election as leader of the Conservative Party? And, and for that matter, do you think Keir Starmer will fight the next election as leader of the Labour Party? Well, yes. No, I think uh, Keir Starmer... Um, is in a much safer position than Boris Johnson. Presume, I mean, assuming that Kirstarmer uh, doesn't get fined by the police, in which case, you know, that's, that's, that's off. But I don't think he would have made that promise to stand down if he thought that was likely. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think Boris Johnson can carry on. And I think you, you're right. I thought that uh, these by-elections were a write-off and therefore that, you know, when the Conservatives lost them, uh, it wouldn't change change views. But there's always a difference between knowing something in advance bad is going to happen and when it actually happens, like, it still has a psychological effect. I mean, I've spoken to Conservative MPs who say that either they supported they supported the prime minister in the vote of confidence, but they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't vote for him in another one. Um, and, you know, they knew those by-elections were going to were going to were going to happen and they were going to be lost. It was the same, same thing with the Sue Gray report. I thought you know, everybody knew what, roughly what was in it, but when it was published, it still had a, an astonishing effect on, uh, on attitudes in the country and in the party. So I just, I just want you, finally, John, I just want your, your predictions as we stand today. So based on these by-election results, 
Who, who's going to win the Tiverton and Honiton seat at the next general election? Who's going to win the Wakefield seat at the next election? And who's going to win the general election overall? You know, as things stand today, what's your, what's your prediction on this? Just putting you on the spot, John. Fair <laughs> question, Philip. Um, I think the, the, the Tories will win back Tiverton and Honiton. Labour will hold uh, Wakefield. And I think the next election will be a hung parliament. Well, there you go. We we can tell you're not a politician, John, because you answered those questions (laughs) directly, which we we wouldn't. There you go. So that gives you a flavour of uh, of the reporting and the the situation in the UK. It's it's a political situation. Politics can be fun. It doesn't have to be serious. I like like watching the Conservative Party tearing themselves apart looking for a new leader. It's always amusing for me. but I'm not a fan of the Conservative Party at the best of times. Um, so it's it's interesting. The way they do things is interesting. It's a, it's a traditional aristocratic kind of bloodbath. Night of the Long Knives. The, when, when two dozen people have been to see Boris to say, time to go away, then he might get the message. But until that point, he's not going to go anywhere. So he might limp along until October when the, the Standards Committee report comes out. If they, if they say he's like the Parliament about parties at 10 Downing Street during lockdown, then he'll have to go. But until that point, he can limp along. So that's just about it for, for this week. Uh, you can find me online in various places, Podbean. Uh, just look for Free Association Radio Show or Free Association Roundtable on Odyssey, on Podbean, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes even. I saw I was getting some traffic from iTunes. Uh, I get traffic from TuneIn as well, so I must be on there somewhere. Uh, Anywhere you find podcasts, you'll find the Free Association Radio Show Podcasting Roundtable. And I've been doing shows pretty much every day. I'll continue to do that next week as well, unless somebody gives me a job, at which point I might have to slow them down. But I'm having fun with it, and it's mid-summer, and it's hot, and yeah, I'm fairly chilled out about the world at the moment. So have a good week. Enjoy what sunshine you've got. Get some vitamin D. Get some good food. Get outside. Take your shoes and socks off. Sit with the earth have a relationship with the planet that you're on and that, that potentially can solve a lot of problems uh, but it's a good way to do things Just enjoy yourself don't worry about the new world order let them do what they do and you just get on with living your own life and having a bit of fun and being the best person you can be in the situation you're in there's nothing more you can do than that I mean, I'm not one to tell people how to live, but I think being the best you can be in the situation you're in is generally quite reasonable advice. So that's it for me. Have a good week, and I'll see you next week. There should be music kicking in any second.
Station Radio. Hey everyone, it's Barbara Jean Lindsay, the Cosmic Oracle. If you have questions about your past lives or future plans, need answers from the cosmos about your love life or career, or just want to keep your finger on the pulse of the planet, check out my show, The Cosmic Oracle, here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Hi, I'm Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school. I am not an attorney, and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, Studio A. My forte? Foreclosure and contract law. Grab your legal pad and pen. Learn a broad spectrum of law spanning administrative, criminal, family, tort, and federal law. Fools and losers cling to old cases. I dissect and comment on the latest rulings that control the courts. Don't be a loser. And if you don't appear, you will be held in contempt. Are you interested in the paranormal? Murder mystery? Real natural law? Do you enjoy interviews with amazing guests? Then join Crypt Rick every Monday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Revolution Radio. Studio A, freedomslips.com. Crypt Rick's Hyphen Thinker. Welcome to the Crypt. <laughs> what the heck is the truth, Jihad? Hey, I'm Kevin Barrett, host of Truth G. 